Matthew 21, and I'm reading from the International Version. And this, of course, at the Easter service is the triumphal entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That disciple went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, as you see, we're taking a break from our series this Sunday and next, um, from our um, finding our true identity in Christ to focusing on the events of this season of Jesus' life. I hope one day just to do a series on the life of Jesus, and um, that would be just great. I do actually have a couple of books I want to recommend on that regard. One of them is entitled Jesus Manifesto, and the other one is entitled Jesus of Theography. They're not light reading but they are deep, and if you want to learn more about the life of Jesus and how you see it in all the Bible from beginning to end, I'd encourage you to grab one or both of those books and let me know in a year when you've read them how you think uh, they are. There's a story of a little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday years ago, and he'd stayed home from church that day with his mom, and his father went in their place as the family head, came back from church holding his hand, and the little boy asked curiously, why do you have that palm branch, Daddy? And he said, well, son, you see, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him, so we got palm branches today. The little boy replied, oh, man, the one Sunday I miss is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. (laughs) And in this passage in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has shown up, hasn't he? And that's what we want to look at today as we gather together this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience in church, and even as a pastor has been Palm Sunday is kind of like beating people with the palm branch. Like, why do you have to be like the crowd? Why can't you focus on it more? And I don't want to do that today. I want to enter into what we see about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem that can be a blessing for our lives today. Well, Palm Sunday, what an amazing day this was. Ted read the story so well for us. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 in the passage that, that is quoted in that um, Gospel of Matthew, Behold Israel, your king is coming riding on the back of an innocent young donkey. Everything that 
History has been pointing to, now is culminating, and the worst week of Jesus' life is just about to begin. But it shouldn't be to us, the atmosphere, what is going on, and it was interesting to me to do a little bit of research on this this week. I thought maybe a few hundred people, or maybe a couple of thousand people, but Nero's um, census of this time of year was that almost three million people would have been in the general area during this time of the sur- of, of celebration. And so tens of thousands of people lined the streets as Jesus got ready to come in Jerusalem. Some of them were from the crowd that was following him been raised from the dead. And all the excitement and energy that had been gathered by the group of people that had already been following Jesus. And then the new additions to that group after the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And can you just imagine the energy and the excitement that had been generated by these events? And so they're traveling with him. They're traveling before him, announcing before he even gets to Jerusalem that Jesus is about ready to enter. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, the most powerful worship service you've ever been to is taking place. Tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand people line those streets or more. We just really don't. Shouting the praises of God, praising Jesus for the deliverance that he was going to bring. It was like nothing the world had ever seen before. That is the magnitude of what is happening in Matthew chapter 21 as we read this passage together. Indeed, the king had come, amen? And the whole world around them could hear his shouting praises. So as I said, I want to take a little bit different approach than maybe just that I've delivered and just see four things quickly this morning, if we can together, about Jesus in this place. And the first thing we see is that we see Jesus on his way. Jesus on his way, as I already mentioned in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and, and we, could, we could spend a whole service just looking at the prophecies in the Old Testament, written hundreds if not thousands of years before this day, predicting this day and the events in perfect magnitude, with no mistakes, with no errors, not even one, exactly how God predicted it would be through the prophets years ago, that day transpired exactly the way God had said it would. So Jesus comes on his way to Jerusalem to make every word of God true in every way possible. So there be no doubt that was predicted for Israel had indeed come about. And so when, when these people heard that verse quoted in that place about Zechariah chapter 9, it was a reminder to them that God's Messiah was still to come. Indeed, for some of them, at least that morning, they knew in their heart that he was there. If you look in the Gospel of Luke, it's really interesting. This is one of the few events that is recorded in every Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have some record of Palm Sunday's events. And it says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, that before Jesus got to Jerusalem, what did he do? Anyone remember? He cried. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept? That's right before his coming into Jerusalem. So the crowd is excited. The, you know, it's like, you know, the music we will. And get up, and music is going, and everyone's high, and everyone's excitement is high. And I mean, it is cloud nine times ten for everyone around him. 
But on Jesus' way to the crowd, his emotions were so much different. If you read the gospel, it says that Jesus wept for them because he knew what was about ready to happen. (laughs) He could feel the excitement. Everyone could. You have to be blind and deaf to not hear any of this going on. It was everywhere. It filled the atmosphere of that town. And yet Jesus' reaction was to know the hearts and minds enough that it broke his heart. Because he was coming to them as Savior and Lord. And he knew when Friday came how things would really go down. And he yearned for their hearts to long to know him in a special way, not just to shout his praises, So Jesus on the way was fulfilling Scripture, honoring God's Word, and passionate about the people that he was about ready to come to. And yet despite the fact that Jesus knew the whole, pretty much, even all of his disciples except one left him. Literally everyone that had been there would either abandon him or turn against him. He still came. Isn't that beautiful? You ever been to a birthday party or any kind of celebration for you and And the whole idea is everyone's excited to honor you, right? Graduation party or, you know, engagement announcement or whatever it is. The whole expectation is that things are going to go great. It's going to be a time of celebration and talking about your dreams and the future together or this new child or whatever it might be. And and Jesus' view of this is that we're going to come together and they're going to conspire to kill me. It's how the celebration is going to end. And yet he still came. Praise God, amen? That his vision was beyond our shortcomings, beyond the failings that we all would have. He came anyways on his own accord, being sent by the Father. So he was on his way, and then we get to the scripture where he actually arrives on the scene. Now, it's really interesting for me. I never read this until this week. There are many scholars who believe, you remember this guy named Pilate? We read about it in the other Gospels. Pilate was the ruler of this area, as we all know, Many scholars believe that on the other side of town, Pilate was doing the same thing. Because of the ruckus of Jesus' coming, he realized that he was going to have to be hands-on for the kind of crowd and the kind of trouble these Jews were probably going to rise up because a lot of them were of kind of the zealous group. They wanted physical deliverance from Rome, and they thought this was going to be... So Pilate's, man, i gotta, I got to be on the scene. And more than likely, he had a powerful horse and shiny armor and, and powerful, big, strong guards, and that was his way of coming in. It was like one king on one entrance. It was all about himself and how he looked. The other was all about the mission that his father had been commissioned him with. So Jesus arrives on the scene as prophecy has foretold. And we, I think, can still hear today, if we listen quietly enough, the shouts of the crowd, Hosanna in the highest. The king, the son of David, is here. And in their energy and excitement, they said it right, very well. He has come to bring blessings from heaven itself. That's kind of the Greek translation of what the crowd is saying. God's son has come to pour out heavenly blessings on his people. That's why he came not to bore us, not to ruin us, not to distract us from having fun. He came, the Bible says, to give us life and give us abundant life. That's why he was there. There's no historical argument of any value that can disprove the facts of the Bible. I always get a kick out of the people who say that the Bible is inaccurate, the Bible isn't true, 
thousands upon thousands, maybe 100,000 or more, saw Jesus with their own eyes. There's no disputing the fact that it was him on that donkey that day. It was intriguing to me. As, uh, have you ever thought about the story of, the, of how the donkey heist went down, whatever word you want to say it? Jesus tells his disciples, maybe one, maybe two or three, hey, guys, you know, go to this stranger's house that you've never met. He, and he, and he, he, I was thinking about it on my way to church this morning. He doesn't say, go and ask the owner if he can untie the donkey and then take it. He says, go untie the donkey and tell them what you're doing with it. Ever borrowed somebody's car? Hey, I got your car. God needs it, thanks. Kind of what was going down that day. They didn't come and say, you know, could we please borrow this donkey? Jesus really needs it. God said to them, God needs it. Literally, the transition is, God has need of this donkey. And the authority of alone, Jesus believed would be enough to convince the owner that submitting his rights to God would be the right way to go. And it all went down exactly as Jesus has but as a disciple, being expected to go about it that way might have felt a little strange. Oh, by the way, I'm taking your donkey because God needs it. But don't you think when Jesus speaks, how else should we approach that but to follow him exactly as he tells us to do it, even if it's strange, even if it feels weird, even if it's crazy. When Jesus gives direction, his expectation is that we obey him. And the disciples obeyed, and the story went down exactly as it had been predicted thousands of years before. Thirdly, this morning, moving on, Jesus is here to stay. Jesus, now he's in heaven, now coming back again in his second coming at a time only the Father knows. But if you read on in the story, and especially in the other Gospels, you know, the crowd is loud. The crowd is passionate. The crowd is excited. It, it literally fills the air for miles around the shouting and the noise of this incredible celebration that the King of kings and Lord of lords has finally come to deliver them. And what do the religious people do? They say, hey, Jesus, you got to get these guys to quiet down. You got to tell them to cool it. You got to tell them to chill because this celebration is getting out of hand. This is making us look bad. This is making all of us look bad. You got to put a cork on them. Imagine saying that to Jesus. These guys didn't really care what anyone thought. And I love Jesus' response in the Gospels. He says, well, guys, let me give you a choice. Either they can shout or the rocks are going to jump up and shout. So what should you prefer? The natural way or the supernatural way? God's in all of it. But the reaction in our world, I think even today, to natural, pure praise is skepticism, is condemnation. The church has got to calm itself down. Lid on it. The church has got to be quiet and off in the corner somewhere. Stay out of the, stay out of the public decisions. You do your thing and our thing. And Jesus simply says, if you don't say it, the rocks are going to say it. I like to hope that I'm more useful than the rocks on the side of the road. And Jesus simply is saying, there's no stopping what's happening. God has ordained these events, and it's going to happen exactly the way God says. And you try to tamp it down, God will find a way to bust it out. And that's exactly what happened. Fourthly and lastly, this morning, Jesus provides an opportunity. 
I have loved the thought of this coming of Jesus to again be reminded of his emotion at this moment. It's not to to condemn. It's sorrow. It's yearning. It's hungering for the fact that he was going to come not to be some ruler on a throne, to be Savior and Lord of our heart and life. And he provides this opportunity for everyone who sees him. Everyone who hears his name, everyone who hears his voice is reminded of the story of God's provision of salvation and that Jesus is coming to stay. Is an opportunity for you and I to hear his voice and to honor him with our lives and our hearts. And it may be in a closet, as Jesus encouraged us to do, without anyone knowing, not changing our demeanor so that someone knows how spiritual we are, but in a quiet, secret place, crying out to God and to praise him for who he is. And maybe in following his direction for our life and decisions that he wants us to make, it may be simply giving him five minutes of our day to, to honor him with our time. But Jesus coming on the scene was, was quite, a, quite a show. It was quite a demonstration of God's provision and God's promises and God's power and God's people. But most of all, what Jesus was coming to bring was all of those things with this most important thing, God's presence. He literally came to be with them and to be dwellers of our temple. Interesting to me, pretty much immediately after this event, what was Jesus' next move? Anyone know? As soon as he made it through this part of Jerusalem, where did he go? He went to the temple and caused another ruckus. Jesus is a troublemaker. I think some of you can identify with that in one way or the other. There is always adventure surrounding God. True authentic faith, true authentic action, true authentic living is adventurous, it's exciting. You never know what's going to be around the corner. And those disciples certainly had no idea what was about ready to happen. But in this moment, all of the earth literally centered around the fact that Jesus had come. And for you and I in our lives, may the Lord help us to keep centered on that fact that Jesus has come to provide everything that we need in our life. I don't know if we're going to get the, be able to get the worship team leader to come. We'll uh, say a prayer as we get that message out. Um, let's all stand together as we pray this morning. Lord, I thank you today uh, for this story. I thank you, Father, for just the way the Bible paints these pictures for us to, to feel. It's not just some facts on a page. It's, it's alive. There's action. There's excitement. There's adventure. There's, there's so much there, Lord, for us to, to think about and to absorb and to, to ponder and reflect upon and, and to look at in our own heart and life. And I just thank you, Lord, that you have come. It, it's maybe not the way the crowd expected. Things didn't exactly go the way anyone planned them to. You could see into the hearts of the crowd, and it wasn't quite what you wished it would have been, but you still came. Despite our flaws, despite our shortcomings, despite our sin, you still came because there was only one purpose for all of this, and that was so that you would give your life for us. 
And I thank you, Father, that you endured all of that by sending your son to die for us so that we could have everlasting life. And you are here today. Wherever we are at in the crowd, on the outskirts, maybe up front, maybe down the road, not really even understanding what's going on. But we thank you, Lord, today that you are here and you're speaking to us, even, Lord, through the shouts of praises of people who have died thousands of years ago. The message of your coming is just as true and just as real and just significant now as it was then. And Lord, we live in a world of struggle and strife and grief and tragedy and triumph. And just dwelling on Janus's life today is a reminder that, that one of these days, you're going to come again. And you're going to make that worship service on that road in Jerusalem look like a walk in the park. There's going to be shouting and praise and triumph like nothing we've ever seen before. And Father, we just pray that we would hold on to your word with faith and with passion for all the things that you're calling us to do and be a part of. And we thank you, Lord, today that you are here. All the other religions, Lord, of this world, their God is dead. He died a long time ago, and you're still alive. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here in this place today. We just ask, Lord, as we just have a minute to reflect on this time as the worship team gets ready to lead us in a closing song. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the words of this amazing hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I thank you, Lord, today that when it comes down to it, all of this is just between us and you. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that we would um, maybe sing the song in our heart without moving our lips, if that's what we need. Lord, maybe it needs to come out today how much we love you and how much, how good it feels to be right with God, to be at peace with you. And we need to shout your praises or Lord, however you call us to worship today. We just wanna, we just wanna let you know that it's well. And Lord, if it's not, you've come to make it well. And we pray your blessing upon us as we worship together today. Let's just listen to the voice of the Lord until the worship team is ready to lead us this morning.